0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We're headed to the home stretch of football season and basketball is in full swing. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the action this year. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code Believe fifty, B L E A V fifty, to receive your bonus. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. Good. on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It's NFL Monday, week 17. It is January 3rd, 2022, year number four of this godforsaken podcast. Welcome in, everybody. I hope you are doing absolutely and positively fantabulous here today. Uh, According to my count, we've got nine games to get through here, about six more over on the Memes of the Weekend podcast. You can check that out in the episode right above this, or maybe you listen to Memes of the Weekend before NFL Monday, but either way, enjoy. We've got a fun show today, and we are going to start off in the only appropriate place to start off by talking college football here on the Take It Easy podcast, because we had some correspondence from the Rose Bowl, where Jackson Smith and Jeeba, the wide receiver for Ohio State who can't go to the NFL, the other two Ohio State wide receivers who are going to be first-round picks, they opted out of playing in the Rose Bowl. This guy, Jackson Smith and Jeeba, he cannot go to the NFL. He is a sophomore. He was born in 2002. That makes some people feel a little old, including myself, who was born in 2001. The fact that I am eight months older than Jackson Smith and Jeeba. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jiba had 330 receiving yards in the Rose Bowl. He had three touchdowns. Ohio State had 600 passing yards. It felt like watching a Big 12 game. And I thought that was like an all-timer of a performance. Like I thought that was going to be an all-time game that we got to soak up and soak in for 20 years in the Rose Bowl one that we'd remember the way Christian McCaffrey going berserk in the Rose Bowl or Andy Dalton or whatever it was one that like 20 years from now I could still call it off the top of my head and there's this interesting thing that happens whenever someone gives up 300 yards where I call it the Mr. 300 club I remember uh, Benet Benwickare he used to be a corner in the NFL for the Carolina Panthers he gave up 300 yards to Julio Jones in 2016 and then got cut the next day this was one of these pinnacle julio jones games if you think back to the lore of what's going to make julio jones a hall of famer the 300 yard receiving game is one you can think of off the top of your head along with multiple 1500 yard seasons leading the nfl in receiving yards julio jones is a player that i've i've said this before like julio jones could have gone and played any sport and he would have been a hall of famer he just happened to choose to be a wide receiver playing in the NFL because that dude's body is just like one in a million, like one in a 10 million, one in a hundred million body for Julio Jones. He won whatever genetic lottery worked out for him. And so Julio Jones had 300 yards. And It's one of the really the only few performances I can think of for a Mr. 300 because 200 receiving yards is rare enough. I remember Tyree Kill had 200 in a game, or I think it was 200 in the first half last year against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. And he didn't get very many plays after that. And I think he was guarded by Carlton Davis in that game. Because I think Carlton Davis was someone whose name you remember for getting absolutely torched by Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes. Because they just didn't play defense. So, or they didn't play the safety up against. You could just say they didn't play defense, but they they didn't play deep coverage well against Tyreek Hill and they let them kind of take the top off. I think um Calvin Johnson also had one of these games in here somewhere, but I can't remember exactly, but I think Calvin Johnson had a 300-yard receiving game somewhere in his career, but the point being, they don't happen very much, and college or pros, and Smith and Jeeba had that game, and then you go to Sunday, and Jamar Chase happened, and Jamar Chase happened on my fantasy team, which technically hasn't won yet, but I do need like not 30 points from Nick Chubb, and I'll win a fantasy championship, but yeah, Jamar Chase happened, 261 yards, two touchdowns, it was just the stupidest shit ever, and Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow beat the Kansas City Chiefs straight up with a comeback to clinch the AFC North, and that game was just bonkers. The end was bonkers. Everyone's seen it at this point. The game was absolutely insane, and the corner who is going to forever be marked is Charvarius Ward, and unfortunately, Charvarius Ward, you are going to be remembered in the same breath as Ben A. Ben or the entire Utah defense that just couldn't tackle Jackson Smith and Jeeba. It is just an absolute blow-torching of a day for the Bengals. I remember last week when Joe Burrow threw for 500 yards and Jamar Chase was like almost no part of the offense, as much as it can be, like he still had 100 yards, but T. Higgins had 200 yards. Tyler Boyd had 150 yards. And Jamar Chase is like, yeah, we'll give him an off day here. And then you come today and it's like, it is Chase and feed him all the way through. Like, it's just, I mean, we talked about it last week. It's just the LSU offense recreated in Cincinnati. And one of the things that I talked about with the college football playoff, especially in our um, post-game recap, not just here, but on the Slump Buster podcast, I didn't appreciate LSU in that golden era of college football while it was here because I just anticipated that with the, the changing analytics revolution and spread offenses moving to the college game and moving into the SEC that you would see more seasons similar to what the Bengal or what the LSU Tigers had. And 60 touchdowns in a season and seven touchdowns in the first half against Oklahoma, which is the most mesmerizing thing I've seen in like a non-Georgia-Oklahoma stakes storylines double overtime or Alabama-Georgia overtime. Tua comes in, finishes the national championship. Like if you take out the stakes and storylines, like remembering... Seven touchdowns in the first half of a playoff semifinal is like a mesmerizing performance to me. And I didn't appreciate that while it was there, even if it was fantastic. And I I like to think I do more of that now in my 820 podcasts and, you know, thousands, thousand plus hours of doing podcasting. I like to think that we've come to, to learn to appreciate greatness better than we did before. And so I find super, super interesting that the Cincinnati Bengals are giving us a taste of what we didn't have before. Like you could you could make the comparisons between T. Higgins and, and Justin Jefferson and what he was to that offense and Tyler Boyd and Terrace Marshall in that LSU offense and bring Clyde Edwards Alaire in and subbing Joe Mixon. And you can make the comparison points there, but I just find so fascinating that the elements that are the same and the type of offense that being that is being run sets Cincinnati up to a point where I look at them and I'm like, oh, they can win in any given day. And I'm the person who said, well, let's you know, Cincinnati's a great story, but they're not ready to be a playoff team yet. And now they've won the AFC North. They might have been able to beat Baltimore at least once straight up with Lamar Jackson because they already did that. Um, Baltimore probably should have won today against the Rams, but we'll get to that in a little bit. And it's super, super fascinating. Because we knew they won the AFC North last week. We knew it was over. The fact that they beat the Chiefs straight up and not with Mahomes having turnovers or not with Kansas City not scoring 30 points, like they straight up beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a way that didn't feel real <laughs> early on in the season. And it was super, like, it was weird to see that because at the same time, you're watching this great, great Cincinnati team play this. Really fun game. And yes, there's a penalty at the end that determines a result. But as the thing we talk about all the time is like post Saints and Rams game in 2018 in the conference championship, like after the blown pass interference call, like I'm not going to blame referee, like missed referee calls are part of the game. It's just, there's no way to take it out of it. It just is. It's going to frustrate people who want to find reasonings to explain things other than their team losing and, and other plays during the game. It's like, okay, it's fine. What's interesting about... The Cincinnati Bengals having that performance at the same time as Kansas City not getting the first round by and being extremely disappointed in that. Not like in part because we love the Chiefs here and lo- or love Patrick Mahomes and therefore by default are amazed. When, when, when I talk about appreciating greatness of the Cincinnati Bengals, it's really important that we appreciate this Chiefs dynasty while it's here because gotta be honest, It's like the Patriots' magic all over again. That magic that the Patriots captured in the 2000s and the 2010s, the Chiefs have a little bit of that with the greatest offensive coach in the history of football and maybe the greatest quarterback to ever pick up a football and two Hall of Fame skill position players. Like The run that Kansas City is on, we need to appreciate it while it's here. That part being true, disappointed that it didn't work out for them, but more disappointed that the goddamn Titans goddamn titans have to be the number one seed because nobody believes in the goddamn titans (laughs) titans don't deserve the number one seed. i know that they have gone like four and three since derrick henry went out the titans do not belong in the number one seed. and then i found out this afternoon that's not even because the titans won the head-to-head against the chiefs it's just weird tiebreaker scenarios it makes it even more bullshit that they're gonna have the same record at 12 and 5 we're going to give the goddamn number one seed to the Titans, make the Chiefs go destroy the Chargers again, or maybe the Chargers pull the upset, who knows, but we're going to go watch the Chiefs destroy the Chargers, or destroy the Indianapolis Colts, or destroy the godforsaken Raiders, which we'll talk about a little bit, Oh, actually over on Memes of the Weekend, we'll talk about that, and it's just infuriating that the goddamn titans have home field advantage through the afc playoff but that's neither here nor there let actually no let's go to this right now because remember what i said weeks and weeks and weeks ago I, on multiple podcasts we did one with gage bridgeford we did one with juju we did one with blake jude i've said it time and time again like the afc may look stupid right now it's going to be the chiefs the titans the bills the patriots the colts one afc north team and the chargers That's what I said three, four weeks ago. Like, it's going to be that. And it just took two results. It took the Raiders beating the Colts, and it took the Bengals beating the Chiefs to get that result. Because those two results today said, Browns, you're gone. Steelers, you're gone. Ravens, you're gone. Broncos, gone. Uh, Dolphins gone, all of them gone, one result, one weekend, we can finally get all those crap teams out of here, we celebrated last week, because we didn't have to deal with the goddamn Broncos anymore, I believe that was actually the title of the episode last week, if I remember correctly, was, uh, thank god, uh, what is it, get the- bleep out of here week for the Broncos, Steelers, Vikings, and Washington football team. So yeah, the Broncos and Steelers were like not quite mathematically eliminated, but pretty much gone. Steelers also by the way are not mathematically eliminated. The Steelers are the only team allowed in the in the hunt graphic cuz the Steelers can win both of their games and the Colts lose to the Jaguars and they get into the playoffs. But again, asking a lot of the Pittsburgh Steelers and for the Colts to lose to the Jaguars, who just got dismantled by the Patriots. Like, the Jaguars are just so freaking bad at football. But anyways, all of it ended up the way we thought it would. And the Dolphins story was fun while it lasted now, wasn't it? It was fun while it lasted, but the thing I said the whole time is like the Dolphins could win every game from 1-7, they could finish 10-7 and seven on the season, they could win 9 straight games, and they still might miss the playoffs. Now it turned out with tiebreakers they were going to make the playoffs anyways because they would have to beat the Patriots the last week of the season, but they were going to have to win every single game just to have a chance at a tiebreaker. And the Titans dismantled their ass today, <laughs> like it was rough sledding for the Miami Dolphins, and just, you know, it it it's going to happen at certain points, Jalen Waddell's going to have a bad day, Tua's going to have those crazy Tua passes that we saw some of on Monday, and we're not going to get to play the theme song again, and the Dolphins get eliminated, but also, Tua's 53.1 passer rating, and Jamar Chase's 266 yards, three touchdowns, and 51 fantasy points to help me win my second fantasy championship in four years, barring a Nick Chubb 34 point performance, all of that means that the goddamn Tennessee Titans are going to be the one seed in the AFC. I hate it. But I loved the Chiefs Bengals game today, and I imagine Blake Jude will have something to say when he comes on later this week because he told me in text that this was the best day of his life. If you throw it my way, it's gonna get rough I like to ram it, as you can see Nobody likes ramming any more than me They call me Jeter, Nobody dresses sweeter But under this cool, is a quarterback mister. I come from the end, looking for the sack I don't stop coming till I put him on the back I'm a mountain man from West VA They call me Herc and I came to play I learned long ago, if the ram it just right You can ram it all day and ram it all night Found it So it feels most appropriate in our NFL analysis this week to clump two games together and two stories together because it feels like both of these teams, both of these offenses, and both of these quarterbacks are doing a bit of a Spider-Man meme with each other. And that is a both teams got the win today, by the way, and both teams are going to be teams that matter down the road. But this is a 17 passer rating, 11 for 26, No touchdowns, three interceptions, a 120 passing yard day. And on the other side of the coin, you have from the second quarterback I want to talk about, 26 for 35, 309 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, and a 96 quarterback rating, but also one of those being a pick six. The first being Josh Allen's Buffalo Bills. The second being Matthew Stafford's Los Angeles Rams. Because I know both of these quarterbacks have been doing a virtual Spider-Man meme of each other this year. It's like Matthew Stafford is turning Josh Allen, is like looking at Josh Allen and saying, this is the next version of myself. And I know, you know, I've said for a while, Josh Allen is just Patrick Mahomes, but he does everything worse. Um, Josh Allen probably is closer to a Matthew Stafford type. If you really want to try and find something that Josh Allen compares to, and Josh Allen has some of the mobility, and Matthew Stafford throws no-look passes, and Josh Allen throws 50-yard passes slinging across his chest, and that's kind of how we do some of the the math on this. But I I think these two have very similarly built rosters, and the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Rams share a place where they are second-round exit group. And we can lump the Dallas Cowboys in here too, um, and, and maybe the Arizona Cardinals too. I really want to see Arizona play Dallas again in the playoffs. And we're headed towards that potential matchup at this point because the Cowboys are now the four seed and Arizona's the five but Arizona needs the Rams to lose to the 49ers next week if they want to win the division. So it looks like that might be the 5-4 matchup in the NFC, and I've really wanted to see that for most of the season, especially if DeAndre Hopkins is going to come back for the playoffs for the Cardinals. But in specifically relation to the Buffalo and Los Angeles situation, the reason these teams are second-round exits, and I talked about this with Dallas a little bit early in the season, is they can hang with any team in the NFL. Buffalo and Los Angeles can hang with any team in the NFL. But if they go on the road to Kansas City, like Buffalo is going to have to, or if they go on the road to Green Bay, like the Rams did last year and like the Rams will again this year, what is the thing that separates them? And it's that Aaron Rodgers rarely makes mistakes and that Patrick Mahomes rarely makes mistakes. And Josh Allen and Matthew Stafford often can get themselves in trouble with inju- with mistakes And both quarterbacks are in offenses where the passing game is the offense. And this isn't really what we think about with the Rams. But remember, we've talked about this for much of the past like three months or so. That This is the anti-McVay Rams this year. The Rams have built a roster that goes against what Sean McVay was originally brought in to do. And I give Sean McVay all the credit in the world. Last year, we called it Sean McVay's greatest coaching job because he built the roster in his own image and then ran the offense that he wanted to. Instead of the offense, he was brought in to run with Todd Gurley when he was first hired in Los Angeles. Then he built the roster that he wanted. Yes, he had to have Jared Goff as his quarterback, but he built a roster that was 75% his players last year. He got to the playoffs, won a playoff game against the Seahawks, predominantly built on defense, and put John Walford in as a disposable quarterback, and then had the gall to blow it all up this offseason and totally reinvent his offense, and I don't know if this makes Sean McVay a great coach, or a coach willing to take risks in, rather we blow ourselves up than let the market continue, and maybe the relationship was just totally strained with Jared Goff, because as we've talked about before, like Goff and him just were not talking, were not talking at the end of that time, and John Walford, ends up being in because Goff couldn't play, but uh, McVay was totally going to start Walford over Jared Goff if he wanted to. And Goff ended up getting hurt, which took the decision out. But he would have taken Walford over Goff. He didn't really see a difference between the two. So maybe the relationship was strained at that point, but you could also talk about bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. as an offensive, and then losing Robert Woods and sticking with the offense that you were running before, which is the Rams are one of the four teams in the NFL this year, Above five or sorry, four teams above 500 that is not winning in time of possession. The Rams hold the ball less than their opponents this year because the Rams' offense is built on Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup, and the strength in that relationship is probably Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup with an extra game to go in the season but through the 16 game rule that we're used to just had the fourth most receiving yards in the history of the NFL in a six, standard 16 game season and with one more big game he can break the all-time receiving yards record even if he got an extra game to do it if you take out the extra game fourth most receiving yards in a season in the history of the NFL and that's where the Rams offense starts finishes and continues. They can only run the ball so much because Cam Akers has been out for most of the year. Daryl Henderson has missed half the season, and Sony Michelle is their only real dependable running back at times, and that's not a great situation for running the football. And so the Rams' offense is really overwhelmingly pass dominant, and they use the pass like the run because that's the personnel that they have. And of course, this makes sense. Like coaches wouldn't be tied to the playbook that they're running. They would adapt we would think based on personnel Andy Reid is great at this That's why Andy Reid is the greatest offensive coach in the history of the NFL Sean McVay is on his way to it he just doesn't have the body of work that an Andy Reid type has but we've seen it now like three times in five years where he goes from Todd Gurley based offense makes a Super Bowl Pivots to C.J. Anderson, tries to keep it afloat. It works for the most part. Oh, no, three points in the Super Bowl. Okay, now we're going to get rid of Todd Gurley. We're going to we're gonna bring in 75% of my players, players that I have personally brought in and, and less need is drafted. 75% of our players, two years, we're going to make the playoffs again. And then the next year, we're going to totally tear it apart. We're going to bring in Vaughn Miller. We're going to bring in Matthew Stafford. We're going to focus on Cooper Cup on the offense. We're going to bring in Odell Beckham Jr. We're going to lose Cam Akers. We're going to trade for Sony Michelle, And we're going to totally rethink the offense that we ran before and run a totally different anti-McVay Rams. And the Buffalo Bills are in a similar boat by design, which is, Buffalo's running game is still broken. I know today it ended up being that the savior, and part of that is just Atlanta's defense, is crap. Like C-R-A-P, capital C, crap. But Atlanta was also winning in that game because Josh Allen made so many mistakes. And a better offense definitely would have capitalized against the Buffalo Bills. Because the Falcons had 13 points if you take away the safety, and zero points in the second half, and the defense couldn't do much in even stopping Devin Singletary for getting 110 yards and two touchdowns, and Josh Allen having 81 rushing yards. But outside of Josh Allen as a running threat, the Bills' rushing attack has been overwhelmingly broken against defenses that have a chance of stopping the run for two years. Uh, We talked about it uh, in the game where, I can't remember, it was the one right before the Patriots game, but Buffalo went an entire half of football without calling a run to a running back. And in the playoff game last year, they ran 18 offensive plays against Baltimore in the first half. The only run was a designed run to Josh Allen. So they've done this multiple times now where the running game is so broken that they just abandoned it altogether. And when Josh Allen and Matthew Stafford get in trouble, that's why we just kind of don't really trust the Buffalo Bills or Los Angeles Rams against teams that can make them pay when they make mistakes. We saw it last year with Buffalo. Buffalo just did Buffalo couldn't do anything against the Chiefs defense and then they muffed a punt or I'm sorry, the Chiefs muffed a punt and then they muffed a punt and they gave up thirty five unanswered points and they just got destroyed in that game. And we saw what Belichick did in that weird snow game, but then Buffalo's offense totally opened up again. It's, it's the weird Josh Allen experience that we were used to when he was not an elite quarterback, where Josh Allen, when he was a rookie, we're like, one day he's going to have 80 yards and three interceptions, and the next day he's going to have 300 yards and three touchdowns, and it's really confusing. Well, Josh Allen just had that back-to-back weeks, just had the, the most dismantling performance in the history of the Belichick era. Belichick did not punt the ball one time, just dismantled the New England Patriots, and then the next week threw three interceptions and beat the Atlanta Falcons, but it was looking like it was in jeopardy of losing to the Atlanta Falcons and had a 17 passer rating. Worse, I think, than Trevor Lawrence. I think it was a worse passer rating than Trevor Lawrence for Josh Allen, because I know Lawrence had the touchdown towards the back end. Uh, Yeah, Trevor Lawrence had a 57 Way worse than Trevor Lawrence today. Uh, was it worse than Glennon? Let's see. Did Mike Glennon... No, not worse than Mike Glennon, though. Mike Glennon, 4 for 11, 24 yards, no touchdowns, 2 picks, with a 5.3 passer rating. And the Giants ran the ball 39 times. They called 39 run plays and scored 3 points against the Bears. But anyways, only only Mike Glennon was worse than Josh Allen on Sunday. And Matthew Stafford apparently now leads the league in pick sixes this season. He has four pick sixes and one pick six against the Packers is enough to take you out of the game cuz one pick six against the Ravens and a second interception on like one of those deep ball like throw it up type of plays, like basically like a punt. So you can call it a second interception, but it was really like a deep ball punt that the Ravens took over at like the five-yard line. But one pick six, and other than that, an above-average passing game, one pick six, and they almost lose to the Baltimore Ravens. They're one play away, the same way the Ravens are one play away from being in the playoffs or two two two-point conversions away from being ten wins. One play. After a pick six, and Baltimore, who has not won a game since November, without Lamar Jackson, Baltimore almost beats the Los Angeles Rams. One play difference. With one Stafford pick six, now it becomes a coin toss. And I'm not saying Stafford's going to throw pick sixes in every playoff game he plays. He's only had four this year. But Matthew Stafford is one of the league leaders in interceptions. And Josh Allen is one of the league leaders in interceptions this year. And the mistakes have gotten to be so costly in the modern NFL that it is the... Th- and the mistakes have become so costly and those offenses are so passing dependent josh allen by the way 15 interceptions this year uh which is i believe close to tops in the league now let's see um but the the point being their offenses are so dependent on the passes that even one one costly one in the case of stafford or two in the case of josh allen i know he had three in the game but one of them didn't really turn into anything but the point being there is that's how it ends up falling apart towards the back end is Stafford having 15 interceptions on the season. Josh Allen having 15 interceptions on the season tied for the NFL league lead or sorry tied for second only behind Trevor Lawrence. This is where things start to fall apart for those teams if they become overly pass dependent and where those turnovers will I mean, most likely, more likely to be hurt them or more likely to hurt both of those teams against the Packers or against Kansas City than it is to hurt them against the Falcons and against Tyler Huntley's Ravens. So even as they survive today and even as Buffalo is a Jets win away from clinching the AFC East and the Rams are one win away from being the two seed in the NFC, We, of course, pause because we kind of don't believe in either of those teams to be championship good. Maybe the Rams' defense changes the tide a little bit there, and that helps them go into Lambeau and maybe try and get a win, but Los Angeles feels like there's something short, and the Buffalo Bills feel like they're just one thing short. It's that their quarterbacks probably make a couple mistakes here and there, and it changes the tides. Of their seasons. Especially once they play teams that can take better advantage of them. So Buffalo and Rams. Or Buffalo Bills, Los Angeles Rams. Feel like they're kind of doing a, a little bit of a Spider-Man meme of each other. As we head into the playoffs. And that Spider-Man meme is probably going to win a playoff game. I mean, Buffalo would have to play the Patriots in the first playoff game. Which would be fun as shit. If the Patriots beat the Dolphins. And Buffalo beats the Jets. And those two teams play in the first playoff game. It would be so fun much fun and the Rams are probably going to get the Eagles and they'll probably obliterate the Philadelphia Eagles and then they'll get a difficult matchup against Tom Brady and Buffalo will get a difficult matchup against Patrick Mahomes we'll see how that works out for them is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there, and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams... Is not good as far as this weekend, as far as training camp. We will see. There's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers' camp, and and that's I don't want to be here. I don't really have any thoughts on this game. Sean Mannion was quarterbacking the Minnesota Vikings, and as we talked about with Stripe Hype, Sean Mannion is a little bit of a punchline for me because I did not know. I mean, for years, I kept saying Sean Mannion, God, he's still the backup on the Rams. He's still the backup on the Rams. After all this time, still the backup on the Rams. And now he's the ba- backup for the Vikings, and he got obliterated by Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams with, again, the, the Viking secondary that was piss poor to begin with and then just cut Brashad Breland, just straight straight up cut Brashad Breland and said, we're better off with nobody than with Brashad Breland Playing corner, I think Prashad Breland is an Arizona Cardinal now going into the playoffs. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers kicked ass. 115 QBR. He's going to win MVP because he hasn't turned the ball over in like three months and has 45 touchdowns. So yeah, uh, not much I have there. What I do want to talk about is the Arizona-Dallas game, and I also want to talk about Trey Lance. Um, but I needed a transition to get there. So transition. Aaron Rodgers, good at football. Um, what I want to talk about the Cardinals-Cowboys is... Arizona had a fun little reset week huh you know Kyler Murray didn't turn the ball over against the Cowboys defense uh Chase Chase Edmonds did enough without having um without having James Connor without having DeAndre Hopkins without having Max Williams without having two of their offensive guards without having J.J. Watt like the, the Arizona Cardinals have succumbed to so many injuries this year that it really really deflates the product for them because like we talked about earlier on in the segment, they're probably going to play the Cowboys again in two weeks in the wild card unless the 49ers beat the Rams. But the Cardinals' season, even before when they were 9-0, it felt like there was something short there, and then just too many of their stars ended up getting hurt. But I thought Arizona had a ballpark chance to win. What I really thought was going to happen was that the Cowboys were going to cover the spread in this game. And that one's everlasting credit to the Cardinals defense for how they played in that one. Cause even if you take out JJ Watt, Zach Allen has kind of subbed in and been like not JJ Watt, but still like doing the same things as JJ Watt. So the, so the defense can still operate as if JJ Watt were there. They're just getting like less pressures on the quarterback. And that means Byron Murphy's getting exposed ever so slightly more, and Jalen Thompson's getting exposed ever so slightly more. And if you want, like, greater in-depth Cardinals analysis, check out the Red Rain podcast. I co-produce with our friend Walter Mitchell because Walter is great with the Cardinals analysis, and the Red Rain's going to drop on Monday by the time you're listening to this podcast, most likely. But the point being, the Cardinals are getting slightly less pressure on the quarterback because of injuries, and now their safeties and and corners, which at the start of the year was one of the most surprising units. are getting exposed a little bit more because they're just being asked to do more, and you're seeing why Robert Alford and Byron Murphy and Jalen Thompson are not exactly the strongest secondary unit in football. They'll probably draft that going into this year's draft. Um, But Buda Baker, I want to say Buda Baker was... You can you can point a direct line between Buda Baker's play where he bats down the CeeDee Lamb screen pass, and he gets a sack, and he gets another tackle for loss. I believe it was in the third quarter, right as the Cowboys were starting to come back. You can point to that and say that is a turning point in favor of the Arizona Cardinals. And the Cardinals needed this one just to like as a market reset. Like I'd been saying since October, kind of like mentally preparing that the Cowboys were going to be the four seed and maybe play the Rams because the Cardinals were undefeated at the time and then everyone got hurt on the Cardinals and they lost to the Lions. And so the only reason they're not going to win the NFC West would be because they lost to the Lions, which is just one of those results you can just kind of like toss out the same way you can toss out the Cowboys. But those two teams feel like they're doing a Spider-Man meme of each other. Both of them probably expect to win a playoff game, but if they play each other, one of them's not going to win a playoff game. And that's kind of the fun about having that matchup. Whoever plays that 5-4 in the NFC, that's going to be the best matchup, non-Patriots-Bills category on Wild Card Weekend in a couple weeks. But it looks like it's going to be Arizona unless the Rams lose to the 49ers on Sunday or Saturday because we're flexing games on Saturday now for ESPN on the the final week of the season and when you're asking the sa- the secondary to do more and Buda Baker steps up like the all-pro player that he is and still being healthy because the Cardinals have lost a lot of all-pro players this year enough so they're kind of like halfway between Baltimore and a healthy Cardinals team that was 9-0 and to start the season is like Yeah, they still have Kyler Murray, and that's good enough to get them in the playoffs and keep them in any game against the Dallas Cowboys or against the Rams. But at the same time, Kyler Murray has not a lot of time in the pocket, and Kyler Murray also doesn't have all the receivers that he's used to, and they have to change the offense, and so maybe they want to run the ball a little more. But, oh, James Conner's out now for the Arizona Cardinals. So it's like everything around Kyler Murray started crumbling, and it's going to derail the Cardinals' season I don't know if the Cardinals would have been able to get to the conference championship anyways, but they were on that trajectory when they were winning all those games and they probably would have skipped the first round of the playoffs by getting a matchup against the Eagles. They can still get that technically, but they would need the 49ers to beat the Rams and then they would play the Rams or I'm sorry, they would play the 49ers in the first round, and that's not an easy matchup for the Cardinals because the 49ers, I mean, this is the Trey Lance 49ers, but it's not a great matchup for them. So Arizona getting this win was kind of like everything resetting where the Cowboys are going to be the four seed like they probably should have been all the way through. The Packers are going to get the one seed. Rams and Bucks is going to be weird semantics for the two and three. And everything's going exactly the way it should in the NFC Based on who is talented where. And maybe the Cardinals should have had the, the 2 or 3 seed instead of the Rams. And they again, they can still technically get it with a 49ers win. But the injury problems for the Cardinals are going to be the reason that they don't make a deep playoff run. But maybe they get to the same place either way. Maybe they can beat the Dallas Cowboys again when they meet in two weeks. What I wanted to talk about with Trey Lance and the Houston-San Francisco game is... Kind of rehashing the points we already had about Trey Lance, but now adding a slightly larger sample size. Because Trey Lance looked rough in the first half. There was one play where it was third and two, and they ran a read option, and Trey Lance kind of like stutter steps at the line of scrimmage and tries to lay out a Texan defender. I can't remember if it was Justin Reed or one of the linebackers, but he, he kind of like tries to do the Josh Allen thing where he can just kind of like shoulder his way to a first down and he just gets stuffed. Like he tries to lower his shoulder and then he hit the ground so fast on one of those plays. And they scored three points in the first half and they probably should have scored zero because the, the Robbie Goldfield goal almost tailed off wide. And they were, lo- again, losing at halftime to the Houston Texans in a game that, got to be honest, didn't watch very much of. But it, I knew it was rough in the first half, because I got that play, I got the 49ers turnover, I got Trey Lance having <laughs> zero points, and Elijah Mitchell getting the ball most of the way. Like, they just kind of disguised Lance towards the back end, according to what I can see here. It looks like 37 carries, including seven from Debo Samuel, 37 carries, 23 passing yards. Similar, but not quite as bad as what Mike Glennon had today, but It's somewhere in between letting Trey Lance open up the offense and being Mike Glennon which is again a really really wide berth it's Trey Lance you have full confidence to run an offense with maybe the best tight end in the NFL and one of the best super weapon wide receivers in the NFL in Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell who's a thousand yard running back because the 49ers just fart out thousand yard running backs everywhere it wasn't that but it wasn't Mike Glennon levels of game manager. It's somewhere in the middle, and that's a wide range to be on Trey Lance, but we've only seen him play two football games, and one of them he was playing through an injury against the Arizona Cardinals. So we've only seen Trey Lance play two football games. It's not a large enough sample size. It's why I'm so disappointed that the 49ers didn't start Trey Lance from the first game onward, because the 49ers anticipate Trey Lance is going to be that dude. They traded three first round picks and they're getting ready to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo partially because of the money, because they, they now have six major contracts with Trent Williams, George Kittle. I think Trent Williams actually makes like 27 million in one of these later years of his contract. Like he's going to be the highest paid left tackle in the NFL. Uh, Bosa is going to be the highest paid edge rusher. Kittle's already the highest paid tight end. Fred Warner is the second highest paid inside linebacker. Um, I'm forgetting a couple here. Obviously, Garoppolo's contract is huge, but they're going to move off of that, uh, missing a, another one in there. But the point being, uh, Debo is about to have a contract extension coming up at some point. But the, the point being is that the 49ers are saying their strategy is going to be, we're going to save money on first round draft picks and our edge is going to be Trey Lance being on a rookie contract and being higher upside than Jimmy Garoppolo. And I thought that they should have started him from the first game onward. I have not wavered in that. I thought they should have played him week three. They should have played him week six. When Jimmy went down and they put Lance in, they should have gone to that. Because again, this playoff spot is going to be nice for the 49ers. And it's not guaranteed yet. They still need to beat the Rams. And if they don't beat the Rams, then the Saints beat the Falcons. The Saints are in the playoffs and the 49ers are out. It's basically that simple for them. They need, They need a win or a Saints loss. To make the playoffs. They're either going to be the 6th seed or they're going to be out. But it doesn't matter for the 49ers. And I can say this with real damn certainty. Because the 49ers are playing for the next 10 seasons. And maybe they have a weird football result. And they pull an upset in the wild card game. Because if they do match up 6-3 against the Cardinals. That is a really, really good matchup for the San Francisco 49ers. And it really doesn't matter either way. And this was the point I was trying to say from back in April into September when we were saying, oh, Trey Lance is going to sit the whole season. I'm like, Trey Lance should be starting week one. And it doesn't have to be sacrificing wins in order to develop the rookie. If Trey Lance is the guy that you say he is, we don't have the sample size to prove it yet. If Trey Lance is that dude, then both don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I can't believe that this is literally happening, where I said, why are you fighting for a meaningless playoff spot when you're developing the next 10 years of this quarterback? Your jobs are secure. The team has the same players coming back, the same core group of guys coming back. In fact, you're going to get more cap space this offseason. And lo and behold, Trey Lance, by injury to Jimmy Garoppolo, is going to get to start one game... Winner, go home for the San Francisco 49ers. And this is the exact goddamn reason why he should have played 17 games before getting to this point instead of this being his third start of his NFL career. But hey, not going to say I was right, but the irony of this is so perfect. And thank God, I mean, not thank God for the injury, but thank the content. I mean, just, I'm, I'm glad that, it's Trey Lance playing instead of Jimmy Garoppolo. Because there's literally no goddamn point for the 49ers to play Jimmy Garoppolo in this game in week 18. So fortunately, it's going to get to be Trey Lance, and we get a sink or swim moment that really... Like, it has stakes behind it, because it, it it essentially is a winner go home game for the 49ers, assuming the Saints beat the Falcons. It's a winner go home game with real stakes, but the stakes are only important to 49er fans and to national conversations about who's going to make the playoffs and who's going to get bounced in the next round. If the 49ers miss the playoffs, so what? So what? All your stars are coming back. Lance is going to be in year two with 17 games. It's okay. You are building for the next 10 years behind this guy and those star players all on big contracts. That is what you're building towards. If Trey Lance is that dude, you can expect to compete for the NFC West next year. Even f- fully acknowledging the Rams and Cardinals are very good at football. You can compete for the NFC West next year and the next five years or three years because cycles work kind of quickly in the NFL sometimes. You can compete for those five years with that quarterback. And it was rocky way to get there but ultimately, this was the result that I wanted. Would I have wanted 17 games of Trey Lance playing to have a winner-go-home game to make the playoffs in Week 18? Sure. But three games and he's playing in the Week 18 game, that's still okay. I can I can live with that. I can live with that and say, we're going to find out something about Trey Lance and that something is whether or not he's going to get a playoff game as his... Whether or not he's going to get an extra game of reps. Because the 49ers, they ain't winning the, a Super Bowl this year. They might be able to pull a weird upset in the first round or scheme their way through the Cardinals with all their injuries. If they play the Rams, yeah, good, good luck. I don't know if he can beat the Rams back-to-back weeks to make the play. Actually, now that I think about it, if they if they don't beat the Rams, I think Cardinals are probably the most likely matchup because they have to beat the Rams. And if the Cardinals beat the Seahawks and the Rams lose the, the Cardinals of the three seed, all of this is just playoff scenarios. The point being, Jimmy Garoppolo gets one game to get another game of game reps and ultimately game reps are the thing that matter right now so that we can find out whether Trey Lance is actually good at football or not and whether it was worth it for the 49ers to give up three first round picks and three first-round picks worth of cap space in order to get that quarterback. Uh, We have a rule here on the Take It Easy podcast and NFL Monday and Memes of the Weekend is that we will talk about every game or at least acknowledge that it exists. So um, I have to pretend like the New Orleans Saints and Carolina game was actually interesting. Uh, We know Carolina's offense is bad. I will now reiterate the stat that the Carolina Panthers are 3-29 in the last three years in games post-October 11th. Uh, That offense is broken. They have three quarterbacks. All of them are backups. Might be dysfunctional. Not much to really talk about there. Uh, Taysom Hill had a pretty good game, and the uh, Alvin Kamaras did part of their job, I guess. Alvin Kamara... Had more receiving yards than rushing yards, but had 100 all-purpose yards and a touchdown. And, you know, there's, there's never a bad day where you have 100 all-purpose yards and a receiving touchdown, especially when your team only scores 18 points. But only one more game for the Saints against the Falcons, and they'll sneak into a meaningless playoff game. That I wish we could kick the Eagles out, but uh, if it's down to a choice between the 49ers and the Saints— uh, do the New Orleans Camaras fulfill the prophecy that we discussed and make the playoffs despite the fact that they already lost to the Miami Dolphins last week, which would have broken the prophecy, but they beat Tampa Bay two weeks ago. So it keeps them alive in the playoff race. All of that is a long way of saying, are you, are we, are we rooting for New Orleans? Or are we rooting for San Francisco to make the playoffs? I, I guess San Francisco, if you're really pinning me down on that one, if we, Have to have the Philadelphia Eagles get destroyed. We have to watch Boston Scott in a playoff game again. Jesus Christ. We have to watch Boston Scott play in another. (laughs) Two times in three years, we have to watch Boston Scott in a playoff game. And one year was Josh McCown, and this year it's going to be Jalen Hurts. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that game more on Memes of the Week. I guess we'll talk about what happened after the game on Memes of the Weekend. But, yeah, uh, Saints beat the Panthers. Taysom Hill had the same passer rating as Matthew Stafford. Good for him. And that is it. Uh, we could just mention again that Jesus Christ, Jacksonville. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence had a garbage time touchdown today that made it his second touchdown in nine games. Nine games for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's It's been real bad in Jacksonville. It's been so bad that I, I don't know if we can properly evaluate this one, but... Ten touchdowns, seventeen picks for Trevor Lawrence. Like yeah, Trevor Lawrence, also uh, the the Jaguars just had the most disingenuous tweet, where it's like Trevor Lawrence has now passed for more yards than any rookie in Jaguars franchise history. Is that over Blaine Gabbert? <laughs> I, I swear, Blaine Gabbert had the record. Was it? Bla- it was either Gabbert or Bortles. Either Gabbert or Bortles was the one who was holding the record at this point. So, yeah, it was bad. It was bad. 50-3, Jaguars. Also, the Colts technically haven't clinched a playoff spot, but when you play the Jaguars the last week of the season, you can kind of clinch a playoff spot. Except the Colts lost to the Jaguars last year. They lost to Gardner Minshew. It's football. Um, I don't think weird stuff can happen in that one, but 50-3... It would be fitting if the Jaguars came back and had at least a close game against the Colts to spice things up in the playoff picture. Yeah, no, it was bad for Jacksonville. Uh, we don't. Does fire Daryl Bevel even apply anymore since we already know he's getting fired? Um, we said it for thirteen weeks on our Jaguars analysis. We're just. I'm willing to punt on this one for Trevor Lawrence. I'm willing to punt on the season and. Yeah, New, New England just <laughs> New England just pulverized them. Eh, number 1 defense. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the NFL Monday podcast here on Take It Easy. Make sure to leave a 5-star review. Doesn't have to be a nice review, but preferably needs to be a 5-star review. Actually, I shouldn't even say preferably. Needs to be a 5-star review on Apple and on Spotify now. You can leave 5-star reviews on Spotify as well. It is all greatly, greatly appreciated. I love each and every one of you. Check out memes of the weekend. Check out our college football post game show. Check out all the wonderful podcasts and all of the wonderful content that we've been putting out. 820 episodes worth heading into now our fourth year of doing this stupid shit over and over and over and over again, and I love it. Take it easy, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.